As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Ryan Bailey and this is the Weekend Review. Joining me today to look over some of the biggest games of the weekend is the true personification of a Bruno Fernandes volley in that he's coming at the right time and he's going to be the best part of the performance. It's Graham Rutherford. Hello, Ryan. That's very flattering. How are you? I'm very good indeed. Thank you. How are you today, sir? Not bad. Uh, had, a, had a good uh, Valentine's Day, but uh, I'm speaking speaking to you more on Valentine's Day than I, I did uh, to my wife, uh, which is uh, reflective of my uh, work-life uh, balance at the moment. But can't uh, complain. I, I know the feeling. Uh, and I hope that doesn't constitute a good Valentine's Day, not talking to your wife very much, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> she might be listening to this, so no, it is not a good Valentine's Day. <laughs> Absolutely not. Well, the uh, listener, you may notice there's only two of us on this show. Uh, Taylor Rockwell can't be with us this weekend. Graham, I'm not sure if I told you this. There's an ice storm in Richmond and Taylor doesn't have power. So um, what? that's one of the... <laughs> yeah, seriously, that's why he's not with us tonight. It's a it's a very strange situation because I like you, Graham, are from Britain, where ice storms aren't a thing. It's either raining or it's snowing. So I'm quite confused about this situation they've got in Virginia right now. I mean, the amount of nonsense that goes into our group chat, and this hasn't been mentioned that Taylor is unavailable. I mean, he's inside, right? He's not like caught in the ice storm. He's not gone out outside, has he? I mean, when you say ice storm, it sounds like the sort of thing that Gerard Butler should be involved in and in, like have sort of a forty million dollar budget to me but i don't know <laughs> yeah or, or some sort of character in an avengers movie or something exactly well we hope the rockwell family is safe and maybe that's why he's not been in the group chat maybe he's phone has run out of power we are <laughs> we're not quite sure but i'm sure he's doing just fine there uh, elsewhere in life graham you and i have been a little busy the past week or so and for the next week because we moonlight as tennis uh reporters do we not um and it's the australian open right now which very inconveniently is held on the other side of the world so it's I, I don't know about you but it's messing with my time and my uh, and my sleep patterns right now yeah i mean it would it would be convenient for us if if they played it through their night that i feel like it's in, it's uh, impolite for them to be playing it at you know their peak times what are they thinking yeah. of 
Well, I, that, there is a, there's something in that, Graham, because you know how they sort of move Premier League times around to shoot to suit like Asian markets, and they yeah. will move things around for international markets. Why don't you know Australia? Why can't you move it to like <laughs> at least European times for for the convenience of the rest of the world? I don't know. Yeah, Djokovic v Nadal at four thirty a.m. Australian time, local time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if they stay on European time, it's fine, right? Yeah. I mean, they do it in Spain with Classicos at midday and everything. So, yeah, I don't see why yeah. not. Exactly, exactly. All right, we need to start a campaign for this, Graham, because it's, uh, as you said, it's wreaking havoc with my, uh, with my sleep, and I'm sure it is yours. But we're not here to talk about tennis. We're here to talk about a sport with a slightly bigger ball. Uh, Manchester City against Tottenham. We're going to be talking about Leicester against Liverpool. Oh, boy, more chat for Alisson there. Uh, Real Madrid against Valencia coming up on this weekend review. And also, we're going to check in with Juventus not doing any wins this weekend in Serie A. Why don't we start off, Graham, with Man City against Spurs. 3-0 to City, this was... That's the 16th win in a row for Manchester City. Spurs, meanwhile, have lost five of their last six. Their one win was against uh, West Brom. Not an entirely competitive game, Graham. Did that surprise you? Um, no, it didn't surprise me at all. It's, it's, it's the match that I think we, we all expected from, from, from both these teams, the way they've been going at the moment. I mean, what a stark difference this game was to the, to the game that was... I had to check. I, I, it feels much longer ago than November, but it was it was in mm. November that that Spurs seemingly put down a, a flag in the, in the, in their their growing title challenge at that time with a with a two 0 win over over Spurs and Reno was being hailed as as a as, as a mastermind again and 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 City seemed to be heading in the wrong direction. But as I say, massive difference between the two teams since then. And a quite crazy uh, fact stat from for, since that game is that City haven't trailed for, for a single Premier League minute since they lost to Spurs in November. Wow. They haven't been behind for a, for a minute <laughs> at all. So, that, I mean, that, that's quite incredible. And what was, it is making a little bit of a mockery of, we all thought this season was going to be a title race between eight or nine teams, and it could be anyone's. And, and actually, Manchester City now have won, what is it, 15 games in a row in all competitions? 16, yeah. It's, like yeah. A, it's an historic winning run, and they're pretty much going to have the title wrapped up by the end of, of this month. Um, it doesn't so yeah. feel that long ago, Graham, that I was betting at eight to one that Tottenham could win the league. I thought those, those odds are too good to resist, and maybe I should have resisted them. Yes, and it was the it was the game against City in November that that I, I, for me anyway felt like a a real moment where they seemed like the real deal. So I don't yeah I I don't uh, I don't think that was a foolish thing to think at that time. I mean, if you go back and listen to the podcast from then, I, I, I bet it, it makes us look seem like fools. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Spurs have totally fallen apart since then, and and City uh, just they seem to be getting better and better. Us uh, seeming like fools is nothing new, certainly on my part, Graham, certainly on my part. But it's uh, interesting, you mentioned sort of a Mourinho there and uh, how the tide has turned on him. I'd, I'd argue that, uh, well, I see a lot of Spurs fans sort of muttering the Mourinho out stuff and they're a bit sick of him already. You looked at this Tottenham team, Graham, and yes, certainly early on they looked pretty dangerous on the counter, but it... I don't know. Was it like ninety nine possession, ninety nine percent possession for Man City? It was. It just. It seemed that way. It seemed like they were sitting very deep, letting letting Manchester City do whatever they want, no matter where they were on the field. I mean, that 
I think it was the second City goal. They, they're just letting them pass around the box with impunity. If you let Manchester City pass in your own box 20 times, they're going to score. So it, it just seems like Tottenham were a disaster all over the field and up the other end, they had sort of, they just completely lacked the passing sequences to put together anything in the final third. And even when they were sort of one or two goals down, you maybe expect a Mourinho side to look vaguely interested, but they didn't seem like they wanted to press to get the ball back very much. And, uh, I, I'm not sure where I'd point the problems. I, I, actually, I can point a few problems in that the midfield, not not so much going on there, seemed like a 4-2-4 most of the time. And the centre-back, Sanchez and Dyer, not going to win any awards in my book. And uh, maybe we should talk about Hugo Lloris at some point as well. But uh, yeah, what, what do you make of this Spurs team at the moment and Mourinho's uh, ongoing employment, Graham? Yeah, I, I saw comments from Mourinho after this match where basically reading between the, the, the lines, he has... Uh, He's bemoaning that a number of his of his of his more reliable players um, are individually poor and are making mistakes at the moment, and it reminded me of his his final days at Manchester United and also at Chelsea. I looked back and he did similar at Chelsea, and it's it's amazing to me that anyone still thinks that this is a mystery that every club Mourinho turns up to, the most reliable players all of a sudden start making mistakes. I mean, there's maybe a bit of a trend there and maybe, you know, how unlucky is Mourinho that every club he turns up to, these players start making mistakes. Maybe it's something to do with your coaching, Jose, or your man management. Um, yeah, this was this was a a really bemusing performance. I mean, look, any, any team can can lose to City at the moment. They're, they're the best team in England by, by a long right. distance. They might even be the best team in Europe at the moment. Um but it, it, you, the the structure of this performance was really strange. I mean, even the third goal. I know I know Spurs are are perhaps chasing the game at that point. But you go back to that game in, that game in November. There's just absolutely no way that a long ball from Ederson would have made it that far and isolated a single defender one on one with a midfielder like it did in this game. And as I say, I know at that point they're maybe chasing the game, but it, it felt like the other way around. That you know, City. Spurs were so good at containing Manchester City in the first game. They they were very tight at the back. The midfield was... I remember talking about the movement of the, the Spurs midfield in, in, in that game and how it was really intelligent. And there was just no mm. intelligence to this performance at all from Spurs. And and yeah, yeah it, it seems like um, Mourinho's got a lot of work. To, it feels like he's, he's condensed a second season and a third season. You know how Mourinho goes in these cycles and it's, it's very consistent and the pattern's very consistent. You know what to expect. But this time it feels like the second season, which is where he achieves the results and, and his team's peak, has been smushed into the third season where the spiral tends to, tends to come. And, and yeah, that, that's not a good sign for Spurs. Yeah, he's uh, he's expedited the whole process this time around. It'll be interesting to see uh, where we go from here. But you mentioned Edison. This this seemed like a, almost a tale of two goalkeepers this game, Graham, with Edison, uh, you know, putting in a decent shift and that assist, as you say, in an in an age where the long ball is a is a curse word and it's a curse word for Guardiola. To be fair, to be able to plant one right in the area for uh, Ilke Maradona, as he's now known <laughs> to run into, uh, and to destroy Sanchez in the process, which we can maybe talk about as well. But that that contrasted with Hugo Lloris. Now he conceded two pretty poor goals here. The penalty, which Rodri uh, managed to squeeze under him, maybe shouldn't have gotten away with, and getting beaten by, by Gundogan at his near post as well. Uh, he's not he's not the only goalkeeper in the Premier League suffering from low confidence at the moment, Graham. Maybe we'll talk about another one pretty soon. In fact, we certainly will after this game. But um, 
what do you make of Hugo Lloris? I'm hearing some whispers from sort of Tottenham fans and you know those who watch this team religiously that he's been, he's been pretty terrible this whole season. I think we can we can say his standard has dropped this season, and even since the World Cup, he's sort of taken his yeah. foot off the gas a little bit. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. As 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 Lloris, he steadied himself himself a little bit after Mourinho came in, but. I remember talking about Hugo Lloris and and, and a, a few poor performances uh, towards the end of the of Pochettino's time at Spurs and as you say just after the World Cup. I mean he's he's only got I, I went and looked at what he's got left on his contract. He's got sixty months left on his on his Spurs contract. He's he's thirty four now. Now I know goalkeepers tend to to uh, age more gracefully, shall we say, than than outfield players. But you know he's he's still getting on in his in his career. So I do, I do just wonder whether. That might be a position. I saw a rumor Lloris uh, being linked to, to PSG, obviously with Pochettino being there now. So I don't know. I just it just, it just feels like Daniel Levy uh, tends to be quite good at, at navigating the transfer market, and that's maybe one position where they could upgrade on and, and maybe get a fee for for Lloris as he comes towards the end of his contract. Maybe one to watch this summer, which only can only mean one thing, which is it's uh, it's Joe Hart's time. Uh, just kidding. <laughs> Finally, Joe, Joe Hart's time was in 2012. It's over. <laughs> Um, but yes, Lloris not the only goalkeeper struggling in the Premier League at the moment, as you say, but um, not yeah. doing himself any favours with this performance. No, and indeed. I realise I just introduced that point by saying that Lloris has taken his foot off the gas. That wasn't intended as any uh, <laughs> reference to his oh, off-field uh, <laughs> incidents. Let's move from, from that very quickly. We've talked a lot about the losing team, Graham. We should, give some, we should heap some praise on Manchester City, who are looking very, very good once again this season. Lots of different reasons for that. Um, I'd point out Raheem Sterling being absolutely brilliant again here, you know, sort of dashing past everyone for that second goal uh, where, as I mentioned, Tottenham let uh, Man City players move with the ball with impunity within their own box. But he's providing that width. You know, he's doing he's doing lots of really important jobs there. But one thing I noticed from a piece you wrote this weekend, Graham, is you picked out um, uh, Jao Cancelo as being the key man. And yeah. I wanted to, to ask you a little bit about that because we know from a, from a Guardiola team traditionally what I've seen as the two most important positions are the, the man screening the defence, your Busquets or your Fernandinho. And your fullbacks, and you, you've you've picked out Cancelo for this one. Yeah, well, the, 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 you're talk, you've, we've spoken about uh, Ilkay uh, Maradona as as he's now uh, <laughs> dubbed, and actually a, a big reason for his success and his form recently has been uh, Yao Cancelo because the the way Guardiola is using him is, um, I mean, I would say it's fairly unique. I mean, it's not it's not a, a, a terribly uh, traditional or, or familiar tactic. I'm sure it's been used before. I'm sure you know he's not a pioneer in using it, but basically. When City have the ball, when they're, when they're in possession, Cancelo is driving into the centre of midfield. And so he's becoming the central midfielder alongside Rodri. So that that provides City with the, the security in, in, in possession. And basically that just frees up Gundogan to be an extra attacking body. And so he he just has has this free role to to basically go wherever he's wherever the space is. Um, when when City are in possession, I, I, I'm not entirely sure what Gundogan's role is because at times it seems like he's playing as the number nine. At times he's making late runs into into the box as a, a sort of Frank Lampard midfielder would make. He's going out wide, and and, and it's Cancelo that gives him the, the the freedom to do it. And I should should also mention that Zinchenko is also doing it to a certain extent when he right. has the ball, but it, it's predominantly. Cancelo and I read a good piece. I wish I could remember it. Who uh, remember who it was by? But last week, but basically, it was saying that Guardiola has dropped this obsession with symmetry that we have in football. You know, if you have one mm. fullback bombing forward on the right, you need one on the left, and and that's not the way it, it's been for City this season. Zinchenko 
is is filling in as a member of the back three when Cancelo is is, is going forward. Cancelo's doing it to a certain extent with, with Zinchenko goes forward, but as I say, it's it's primarily Cancelo doing that. And that's been a, a, a big reason why City, how their form is, is picked up and why Gundogan has, has been so successful in, in finding goals. That's really interesting, an interesting observation. I, I might liken it to what uh, Mourinho was doing with Serge Aurier. Uh, certainly he was doing when Aurier was pushing into midfield and pushing further up and leaving a back three uh, at certain times. And I, I was going to also say you're quite right to pick out Zinchenko there because I think during that 17-18 season when Zinchenko was playing quite a lot, um, he'd be the kind of fullback who would cut into the field a lot. And I think maybe like Mondi and other players in that position were, was uh, sort of going more down the line. So he was coming in field a lot more as well. And I think you're right that, uh, uh, that Zinchenko does a little bit of that certainly now too. Um, we should probably talk about Gundogan, shouldn't we? Because he's, he's quite spectacular. Uh, I think uh, a stat I read from your piece once again, he scored more goals in 2021 than 14 Premier League teams. I think that's nine in nine he's got now. And it's not just that he's getting his happens here, is it? It's, uh, you know, even the strength he showed to to get to uh, nudge uh, Sanchez off the ball went and make him look pretty bad for that for that second goal and uh, for the third goal, excuse me. And he's, he's just very, very, very impressive. What is Pep feeding him? That's what I want to know, Graham. <laughs> I, I don't know, but it, it, it's working. Uh, I need some some <laughs> of that. Is it Herbalife? Is that a thing that people use to... Yeah, that, 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 that's, that's not... That's a, a, that's a pyramid scheme, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say that's that's we are not sponsored by uh, that that brand. Uh, but yes, he is he's in the form of his life, isn't he? I mean, Guardiola yeah. has spoken spoken about recently how um, he's had this urge to use Gundogan as as an attacking midfielder before. Of course, it's it's a, it's a very it's very different to the role he was playing for City when he was the. I don't want to say holding midfielder, but cer- certainly he, he didn't have the attacking freedom that he has now alongside Rodri last season. He was he was very much the the base in that in that city midfield. And Guardiola has spoken about how he has seen this in in, in Gundogan for quite some time, but has never had the opportunity to to, to do to uh, to unleash this side of his game. And I, and I suppose it's been it's come from circumstance in that. City had to. Uh, Guardiola spoken about after the the game. I think it was against West Brom on the on December fifteenth, and um, where City drew at home to West Brom, and they had a meeting the next day. The City coaching staff, and basically it was a meeting to come up with ideas of of how to get around the deficiencies City had at that time. So the main deficiencies were they couldn't count on De Bruyne to be fit, and, and Aguero as a centre forward was was not fit either. So they needed to find creativity and goals from elsewhere, and this is where they came up with this Cancelo idea to release Gundogan and he's he's just got the technical ability to play pretty much anywhere on the pitch even as even as a striker I mean you mentioned that third mm. goal that yeah so it's, it's a brilliant pass and but the, the way he the way he brings it down I mean it's it's coming from really high in the sky and and you know he he brings it down in an instant then has the the presence of mind and ability to turn and 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 twist in another direction and then send the finish in another way and I mean, poor Damson Sanchez. I don't know whether he wants. He he gets done like Jerome Boateng, like Messi did in that that famous goal. <laughs> yeah. or, or he even, I'm pretty sure he tries to tackle with his head. He uh, does the Phil and, Jones thing, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, does Jones. And you, and you should never go full full Phil Jones as as a motto <laughs> if you're a defender in the Premier League. Don't do it. Oh um, dear. But yeah, Gundogan ties him up in knots, and uh, it was just another brilliant performance by him. 
It was. And we should probably talk about the penalty, which he won uh, with some alleged contact from uh, Hoiberg there. It looked as if, I, I mean, I tweeted at the time, it looked like he was fouled by the ball, if anything, in there. And he, he did kind of put his uh, foot on the back of uh, Hoiberg's heel. It was one of those ones where if the referee didn't give it, it wouldn't have been overturned kind of thing, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? I'm not sure um, it was a strong one. Uh, this one, so I feel like I need someone to, I'm not disagreeing with you. I feel like I need someone to point out where the con- where they feel the contact is happening. To me, to me, yeah. it looked like Hoiberg kicked the back of Gundogan's foot, but I've, I've, I've heard so many people make an argument that you've just made that I feel like I'm missing something. So I, I might need to go and watch that again because to me, to me, it just it did look like Hoiberg kind of, um, as I say, kicked kicked the back of his leg. Yeah. Well, it wasn't game-changing in the end because I doubt Spurs would have uh, had to taken a different direction in this game had that incident not happened. One thing I'll note before we leave this game, Graham, Gundogan, Tony Kroos and Joshua Kimmich. Three players who are probably the best in their position at the moment mm-hmm. in Europe. Germany at Euro 2020 or 21. And they've got those three in midfield. That's terrifying, isn't it? It is, but they they also have Yogi Low as the manager. <laughs> Whatever was working for him at, at, at the 2014 World Cup is not working for him anymore. Touche. Touche. Well, uh, we look forward to the summer and that. But in the meantime, Manchester City, uh, once again for the second week running, I'll say a Premier League title over, apparently. And uh, more more on that after these short messages from our sponsors when we're going to talk about Leicester against Liverpool. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Leicester versus Liverpool. This one ended 3-1 to Leicester. Uh, Alison Blunderland is the best pun I saw about this game, Graham. Once again, Liverpool's goalkeeper not having a good time here. And this one kind of fell apart for Liverpool in the space of seven minutes, getting their fifth defeat in 10 Premier League games. Um, Where do you want to start with this one, Graham? Should we maybe start with a bit of praise for Leicester, who maybe didn't deserve an awful lot of praise for 70 minutes or so. They were relatively sloppy. They were, you know, they weren't, um, you know, uh, not fantastic trying to... uh, passing against the press. I, I wasn't too impressed with them until they sort of snapped and came alive in the sort of 70-something minute. Yeah, and it, and it came from a, a Rodgers change of, of the system from the, the mm. 4-2-3-1 that they normally play. They went to a, a midfield diamond, which put Barnes and, and, and J.B. Vardy up front, which was a little bit of a gamble because it meant that Leicester were bypassing the midfield a little bit. But at that point, 50 minutes to go, 1-0 down, it felt like a, a, a gamble that was worth taking and, and so it proved by, by full time because basically um, Quebec and Henderson was playing at centre-back again, is that right? Um, they, they, were, they, were, yeah. they were crowding out Jamie Vardy between the two of them with, with the, the kind of um, 
long passes and, and balls in behind that, that Leicester liked to play for Vardy, but it wasn't really working. But as soon as they put Barnes up there with him, um, as we saw for the, the disastrous uh, Alison uh, uh, blunder, it, it just caused mayhem in, 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 in the back of that that, that Liverpool defence. And, and Harvey Barnes is, is a player I really like. I mean, he's, he's a, one of these players who... I'm not entirely sure what position he plays. Um, he is he a winger? Is he a, an attacking midfielder? Is he played a forward for the the last fifty minutes of this game? But wherever he plays, he he seems to do a good job. And in that sense, he 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 kind of reminds me a little bit of a um, a bit more of a a, a wingery Foden, Phil Foden, and that Phil Foden can okay. play pretty much anywhere in the pitch and he'll do a good job. Harvey Barnes is yeah. they're not it's not a perfect comparison. I'll admit he's he's more of a winger. But yeah, he does something similar, and, and this was another good game by him. And and uh, another game which underlined Brendan Rodgers' uh, status as as one of the the best pure coaches in the Premier League at this moment. Well, that's the thing. Do we give Brendan Rodgers enough credit? Because you know, great building he did at Swansea and that pr- uh, pretty good all-conquering Celtic team before he hop skipped and jumped out of Scotland, and you know, al- almost got almost got there with Liverpool. And he just seems to. He, the headline with Brendan for me is that he makes players better. And you talk about someone like Harvey Barnes, who he he was fantastic. I'm not sure what position he plays, but he played the position where uh, Liverpool let him run at them (laughs) in this game. And that's the same same for Madison and Vardy. They just had a chance to run at them. They got punished, Liverpool did there. But what do you think about Brendan Rodgers there? Because there were thoughts, my thoughts in in this game was that the, the Brendan Rodgers Liverpool were back, the one with the shoddy defending. But I thought maybe that's a bit harsh on Brendan Rodgers because uh, you know he's he's doing wonderful things. Then you've got to consider this Leicester side; they've got quite a lot. They've got uh, what, three first choice defenders out at the moment. They have a lot yeah. of injury issues, and that's something that Madison pointed out when he was interviewed on BT Sport afterwards. That uh, you know they're they're pushing and you know a, a top top two team here, and they're they're doing terribly well having similar you know injury issues like they've had have derailed other teams namely Liverpool yeah and and as you say that it's in my notes was is that Leicester have injuries of their own James Justin Timothy Castagna Wesley Fofana I mean if you want to talk about mm. how Liverpool's defense has has been decimated by injuries I think you have to do that with with Leicester as well I mean one of one of the, the brilliant things about Brendan Rodgers and I noticed this when I um I, I, through my job in, in Scotland, I, I, I spoke to him almost on a weekly basis for, for, for a couple of years and, and watched a lot of Celtic when, when he was manager. One of the things that he does is, as, as, as football fans, and I guess a lot of football coaches are guilty of this as well, we look, we look at positions, we have preconceived ideas of where that, what that position, that player in that position does and where they should be on, on the field at any given time. So, you know, if you're, if you're a fullback, it's up to you to fly up the wing, get put across in, 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 into the box. Um, but he 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 does he looks at players for for their abilities their natural abilities their their technical attributes and and he he looks at where on the pitch they can be best used so a, a, a good example is is Harvey Barnes you know we're talking about what is his position well we're talking about what his position is I'm I'm, I'm betting Brendan Rodgers is not that bothered about what his position is he's he's looking at areas of the pitch that, that, that he can exploit and that's what he did against mm. Liverpool another good example of that is James Justin who yes James Justin is a, a brilliant fullback but not in a traditional sense he is very often involved in the midfield build-up he, he does a little bit of the El Cancelo and in, in, in joining midfield he'll often mm-hmm. switch wings as well he can play right wing and left wing as, as, as a fullback so yeah that's one of the things that I, I really like about Brendan Rodgers is he, he he looks at, at positions a little bit differently 
And uh, one player in Scotland he did that with was 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 Callum McGregor, who um, just his career just took off under Brendan Rodgers. And you just wonder what players in the Premier League. I mean, if he was to go to Arsenal, what you know, what player would would excel under Brendan Rodgers? He went to Manchester United. What player would it, you know? It's just an interesting thing to think about how he would look at different squads in the in the Premier League, given what he's done with Leicester, which I know Leicester are not the the relegation fodder they were, you know, a, a number of years ago, but they still have a budget that's much less than the traditional big six teams. Yeah, it's really, really impressive. And you, you make, saying about Arsenal makes me think there about that sliding doors moment where he went to Leicester uh, potentially instead of Arsenal and what could have what could have been there. And But but uh, there's just quality all over this Leicester team, Graham. You mentioned a few of the players there. I thought T. Lemons is excellent here. And Didi is just a rock star. And I think we've mentioned on this show before how he could walk into uh, the, the the double pivot of most top teams in Europe. I think that's probably not too much to say. Yeah. And one player I think who gets a bit of stick, um, who doesn't deserve it necessarily, Ozzy Perez, who came on um, with his 20-something, uh, 15, 20-something minutes to go in this game. I think he won the ball back quite high up the pitch for a third goal. And that's something that he does a lot. He's, he's all about sort of winning the ball back and winning possession back um, it, it, almost in a Kante kind of way. Uh, and I, I've always been very impressed with that. He, he just strikes me as a match winner, that guy, even though, as I say, he, gets, he makes mistakes and he's, he, he does get some stick from the Leicester fans. But um, yeah, just, I'm, I'm just really, really impressed with this Leicester team at the moment. Yeah, and, and, and I think the way that they were able to snap into a completely new system just just shows how well coached they are that's the, that's the for me that's the sign of of a, of a well coached yeah. team and, and that the, it wasn't something that was alien to them they knew what was expected of them they knew, they knew how to to execute it and and the, the 70 minutes that came before almost didn't matter because they were so devastating in in, in those final stages yeah, well, why don't we talk a little bit about Liverpool, uh, Graham? Um, we mentioned that sort of calamitous goal with Quebec combining or the opposite of combining with Alisson to sort of uh, <laughs> let, let Jamie Vardy get in there. Are you who, who do we blame in that situation? Because is it an Alisson communication issue that, uh, that he doesn't warn Quebec? He's got a better view of that situation, hasn't he? What um, do you think? I mean, I, I don't know what your view on is. I, I fully think this is on Allison. I don't, I don't yeah. feel like there's a need for him to come flying out. I mean, Kabat totally doesn't expect it because why? Why would he? I mean, I know it's, I know it's a dangerous pass in, in, in behind, and Liverpool are in a little bit of trouble. We're, we're, we're talking what, twenty-five yards out from goal. Um, More than that, yeah, yeah, and 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 so it feels like Kabat has an opportunity to to deal with it. And Alisson, I think what I think what's going on with Alisson now, he's he's trying to make amends, isn't he? He's trying to mm. make up for those two mistakes that, that happened in this in the City game. So he's trying to do a little bit too much. And and that I mean that this was this was comical, this mistake. I mean I I, I think if you if, if I mean obviously maybe not Liverpool fans, but if you if you didn't burst out laughing when this when this happened happened then I think you're lacking a, a bit of a sense of humour because it was yeah. it was totally comical. Also the way that Allison's skewed clearance, a uh, flying volley clearance just lands straight straight at the feet of of, of the opposition player. It's 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 a uh, <laughs> is it is it Vardy? This is the second goal, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's Vardy yeah, it's that Vardy, scores yeah. this one. Yeah, I mean, it, there's it's nowhere it's going nowhere near Vardy until uh, Allison decides to you know as I say flying volley interception straight into Vardy's path, but. Um, yeah, he's 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 trying to do too much. He needs to go back to the basis base, basics and maybe just stay stay in his box for for a little while. I mean, that's a good start. And a player who is absolutely adverse to hoofing the ball downfield, coming out to hoof a clearance was uh, was something. And I've I've seen some suggest that you know this is the thirteenth defensive pairing he's played behind 
as Alisson this season. And that doesn't help him. And I think, yes, that's a good point. But also, that doesn't explain what he did <laughs> for that goal particularly well. Yeah, and also, if you're playing with... So this is this is uh, Quebec's uh, full debut for Liverpool. I, I, right. In my mind, if you're playing with a, a, not just a, a player you're not familiar with, but a player making his, his Premier League debut for a new club, you, you maybe think to yourself, OK, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not going to do anything crazy here that spooks him or, you know, I'm just going to, as I say, back to basics, just do everything simple and, and not rush 25 yards off my line to to, to do a flying karate kick clearance. <laughs> did he have, he's had A.E. Becker on his shirt rather than Allison. Did you notice that? I did not. I think he, he was tr- maybe trying to turn over a new leaf by, uh, who's this Alison? I am A. Becker. I don't know who you're talking about, but uh, not, I'm not sure that worked out uh, in his favour, that one. So yeah, I, I think his main duty, Alison, was to make Quebec look worse on his debut than he deserved, which is a little bit harsh. Um, one thing I noticed, Graham, Curtis Jones uh, mm. played again in this game and was good and yep. got subbed out and Liverpool got worse when he got subbed out. That happened last time as well. <laughs> yeah. Is that yep. a trend? You're absolutely right. It did. It did happen. It's it, it, it's it's uncanny how it happened exa- within minutes. Leicester were back level just as it as as it was uh, against City. Although City took the lead in, in that game, but yeah, um, I think I, I don't know. I, I thought against City it was a poor substitution because the the change that Klopp made kind of changed changed the approach of Liverpool. Whereas in this yeah. game, I actually wrote an article on how uh, Curtis Jones has replaced. Uh, Oxley Chamberlain in this Liverpool squad, and that they're quite similar players. They're performing similar roles. I think I might have actually have said it in the, in the podcast last week, and it was Oxley Chamberlain who came on for for Jones in this game. So it wasn't a change of system, not even a change of approach. It was just a change of personnel. But yeah, I, I feel yeah. like Curtis Jones um, has done enough to play ninety minutes, <laughs> given what happens every time uh, Klopp subs him off. Well, by the logic of your article there, Graham, that's a regression if Ox replaces him, right? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I think Jones is a better. I think Jones is a, is a better player than Oxford Chamberlain in this Liverpool squad at the moment. So I don't know whether that's down to rotation or whether he saw some fatigue in Jones. I didn't see any fatigue in Curtis Jones. Um, no. Yeah, I feel like he should be playing ninety minutes. Well, that's interesting. Uh, as is uh, the ongoing debate about Thiago, Graham. Um, who uh, was has gone from being this superhero who's uh, you know the dog <laughs> the, the the dog's nether regions to uh to being the villain of this piece not you know being criticized in this game for not having enough pace not being great defensively and uh, you know perhaps lacking concentration and flying in with some reckless tackles i think he gave away the free kick from which uh madison scored that <laughs> embarrassing direct free uh, direct free kick from out just outside the box i think that was tiago as well uh, are we still on? Are we still on this opinion that he's not the right fit for Liverpool? Um, I, I don't want to make any conclusive statements at this point for uh, fear of uh, being thrown back in my face, just like those uh, statements <laughs> we all made that Spurs were going to win the league back in November. Yeah, will be thrown yep. back in our faces. Um, but yeah, it, it doesn't. It, something's not working at the moment. He feels like a bit of a stylistic misfit. He's he. I suppose it was designed to to give Liverpool a a, a different way to to play, uh, to be a bit more considered. They've always been this gig impressing, fast and furious, heavy metal football team under Klopp, and I guess it was maybe to try and give them a better chance of breaking down uh, teams that sit sit back. And because even though I know I know Liverpool won the title at a canter last season, but there was a lot of games where they struggled to break down teams, and it was only through. A, a series of last-minute winners that that, that that they got over the line. So I guess they couldn't rely on that forever. 
And so I think the logic behind the signing was was right, but the integration, there's something has gone wrong there. But the caveat is he's, he's playing with midfielders that he probably won't be playing with when Liverpool are back to full strength because you'll obviously have Fabinho and Henderson in there. This is true. This is true. Uh, why don't we talk a bit about Jurgen Klopp? I think we have to have a little bit of sympathy from him. He, did, he, he conceded the title, I believe. He literally conceded the title after this game, which is quite a bold move to make in February, I would argue, for a team like Liverpool. But that seems to be the way things are going. But for context of um, what Klopp's going through, he lost his mother um, and he can't. he's not allowed to go back to her funeral in Germany. And I think we, we sometimes forget, Graham, that People in soccer are humans as well. And uh, for, like I live in a different country to my mother. I haven't seen her in nearly two years. Uh, Jürgen Klopp's got the same thing. And compounding that, he's, he's got her funeral and you know, she, she passed away as well. So he, he's, he's going through a very difficult time at the moment. Um, so we, we have to contextualise what perhaps uh, what Liverpool are doing at the moment, what maybe some of his decisions. I think I'm not making excuse, professional excuses for him, but that's that's what's happening there. But if, if we were to talk about what, what is happening, it's... There's this, there's this uh, perception, perhaps, Graham, that he's failed to evolve his squad. Um, and, I mean, maybe you could make similar arguments about Pep Guardiola at Man City when they sort of had that awesome period and um, after about 2018 when they fell off a little bit. And they've climbed very much back on that horse. And maybe mm. Liverpool will climb back on that horse. Uh, it, and they just need a little bit, little bit of time. But then I look back at the parallels with Borussia Dortmund, Graham, and... You look at 2014-15 season, they finished seventh. I think that was his last season before Tuchel took over. And mm. there was this perception that the players kind of, that they were a bit fed up, that, you know, with the gagging pressing, with the, with the hard training, didn't want to play from anymore. And it was 2013, not that long, but two seasons before that, when they were in the Champions League final against Bayern Munich. Um, so there, could it be that we were just reaching the end of the phase of Jurgen Klopp? Or could it be that this is a little dip, he just needs a bit more time to dig himself out almost like Pep Guardiola did. Yeah, well, there's this theory and it's, it's almost an intangible theory and, and, and also it's almost as if there's no physical evidence for this being the case. But if you look at the the great teams that you've had in the Premier League and in, 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 in European football generally, they don't tend to last as a group beyond four years. Um, that's kind of the, the spell where you need to freshen things up or things get a little bit stale or things fall apart a little bit. And if you look through some of the great teams, it, it holds up pretty well. I mean, that's what happened with, with, with the uh, Guardiola City team where they had a, a, a bit of a fallow year last season. And it seems mm-hmm. like that's what's happened with, the, with, this, with this Liverpool team. You know, you go back to the team that played Real Madrid in the Champions League final in 2000 and all the years are merging together for me at the moment. So what <laughs> year was that? 2018? Maybe? 18. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's pretty much this. I mean, obviously, you know, the, you've got the big one, the, the, the goalkeeper, Loris Karius. I, I think uh, Dejan Lovren might, Lovren might have started that game. But other than a couple figures, it's 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 the same team. And and the same again the season after that. And the same again the season after that. And, 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 I know they've had injuries uh, shake things up a bit this season, but it's, it, it would be the same team if they had their, their full strength side this year. So it, it, then you, yeah, then you've got the question of are Liverpool faced with breaking up this team? You know, if, if players aren't forcing their way out, as often happens, you know, Manchester United had Cristiano Ronaldo force their way out. If Salah's not doing that to Real Madrid because Real Madrid can't afford them, do they need to somehow break this team up? And then, if, then you've got really difficult decisions to make in that regard. I mean, do Liverpool sell one of their best players? Do they sell Roberto Firmino and, and, and get an Erling Haaland to, to try? And, that's a big call to make. What I would say, the yeah. difference between Dortmund and Liverpool is obviously at, at, at Dortmund, it felt like 
um, Klopp was, you know, bottling lightning. You know, it was it, it, it was something. It, it was a it was almost a little bit of a, I don't want to call it a fluke because clearly it wasn't a fluke, but it, it felt like things just came together perfectly for him and at Dortmund, and so it was really really difficult for him to replicate that. Liverpool are one of the biggest clubs in the Premier League. This is a club that spent seventy five million pounds on Virgil Van Dijk. You know, sixty million pounds on Alison Becker. They have got money to spend, and so the the resources are there for. Klopp, if he wants to, and the desire is there, and Liverpool are committed to the project, the resources are there for him to rebuild that squad, as Guardiola is going through the process of now. So I think that's obviously the the big obvious difference between Dortmund and and Liverpool. And um, yeah, I I, I want to see Klopp rebuild a Liverpool team because I want to see what that looks like and I want to see if he can do something different. I agree. I want to see that too. I want to see him stay on uh, for for at least a few more seasons, and, and and as you say, see if he can rebuild this team. That's I think that's a true test of his uh, top level management skills. But you know, Steven Gerrard this this summer, what do you think? Well, it's funny you should mention that because if if, if Gerrard obviously wins the title in in Scotland for a lot of people, and also Rangers in the last 32 of the Europa League, I mean, I don't know whether that was for a couple of years that's been a little bit of a joke, but actually. It's starting. It's starting to gain a little bit of momentum. I mean, if Gerard yeah. wins the title in Scotland, takes Rangers into the latter rounds of of the Europa League, where they would be punched above their weight, he's proven himself as a pretty good manager. If if Pirlo can be given Juventus with no experience, then it stands to reason that Gerard could with uh, with that kind of stuff under his belt. I would argue. Um, w- one more thing I wanted to touch on for Liverpool. You reminded me um, by talking about Salah and perhaps forcing them to Real Madrid. I've never seen him look so frustrated on the field. I thought his body language was look quite negative quite a lot during this game, which perhaps is understandable, perhaps in the last 20 minutes. But he looked very frustrated, not only with his own finishing, sort of you know, throwing the hands up in the air a bit more than usual. He looked a bit frustrated with Mane. I think he played a square ball to Mane at about 20-minute mark where maybe he should have gone for goal himself and he looked a bit annoyed with himself. Um, what do you think? Am I reading too much into that? I just think Salah and Manny don't like each other. <laughs> I mean, really? I know, well, I, I don't know. They, they, yeah, they've had little tiffs before, haven't they? The famous mm-hmm. one where Manny was dropping down the, the tunnel. I don't know. They yeah. say it, they say it, they say it was a it's a professional thing, and that and that you know they just get on with it. But I don't, I don't know. There's been a few instances between Salah and Manny where it, it, frustrations boil over. But yeah, I mean, the fun the funny thing with Salah is. Until maybe a couple of weeks ago, I thought he'd been having a below par season. And then you look at how many goals he's got. I think that I think he scored his sixteenth goal here of the Premier League season. So mm-hmm. um, he's still delivering the goods. I mean, he's still one of the best goal scorers in the league. He's still Liverpool's main man. But there, there is this this simmering situation regarding his contract and 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 whether he might he might want to move to one of Spain's big two but as a, as I kind of referenced earlier you know Spain's big two are a little bit ca- uh, cash strapped at the moment so um I'm not sure whether they'd be able to take him on they are indeed well one of Spain's big two uh has Karim Benzema the one man scoring machine which we should uh, we'll be discussing very shortly after these messages from our sponsors looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willingly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. We are back. We're going to go continental. Real Madrid against Valencia, Graham, at the Valdebebas. Uh, this was 2-0 to Real Madrid. Real Madrid in second now in the Liga, six points behind their neighbours, Atleti, who do have two games in hand. Valencia, on the meanwhile, a bit of an up-and-down season for them. They've only won one in their last five. Uh Quite an impressive display from Real Madrid here, Graham. I think we said when we when we reviewed their game against Alaves uh, three or four weeks ago that it was this peak Real Madrid. We hadn't seen them better for a long time. It was when Eden Nazar was in the team and he was you know um, putting in a really good show. Was this even better from Madrid? They 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 had a degree of control in this game that I think was was better than the Alaves game. Uh, uh, obviously, the in, in the Alaves game, Alaves game stating the obvious they scored four so um you know maybe that was a little bit more emphatic in the end yeah. but yes very very good performance from Real Madrid I think the caveat is that Valencia uh played pretty poorly there was only really one save from Maxi Gomez that that that, that uh, Courtois had to make and and yeah. for, for me watching this game it was a little bit sad just seeing where Valencia are at the moment I mean even a couple of years ago this was a team that was qualifying for the Champions League, winning Copa del Rey finals against Barcelona. They had a, a very talented squad and, and they still there is still talent in that squad, but they're nowhere near teams like Real Madrid at the moment. Even a Real Madrid team as flawed as this one this season, it, it, it was a bit of a cakewalk for, for uh, Zidane's men. 
Yeah, I think that was that would be the answer to my own question about whether this is a better performance than the Alaves one. It was that, that Valencia made it made them look much better, didn't they? I think it was, you know, a very poor defensive display, I'd say. Uh, Ferro, one of their centre-backs, he seemed like he was just wandering around, not tracking anyone, wondering where he was uh, for a lot of the game. And it was it was just like the lack of pressure. And you saw it on the first yeah. goal that Real Madrid yeah. scored, that Benzema scored. They were just like... You know, in like basketball, where you like run two thirds of the court and then everyone sort of hovers around the net to do their thing. It was almost like that was happening on the field. There was no pressure at all in the defence, and they were letting for most of the game, letting Real Madrid just take long shots from the edge of the box, and that they did quite a lot. Uh, and they were quite narrow as well in their in their um, in their shape. They were they were pretty physical. They looked like they were not scared of getting a yellow card or two. Were, were Valencia in this one? But they had four shots in total to, to Real Madrid's sixteen, and just. Not up to much at all. And even Yunus Musa, our, our US national team saviour, who came on at half time here, I think I saw him make one run, which was extinguished by Casemiro and Vasquez, I think it was. They sort of sandwiched him out of it. Otherwise, meh, a big meh from me for Valencia. That's my review. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, f- the first goal is absolutely bizarre. That's in, that's in my notes as well. It, it, Benzema, I think there's three or four Valencia defenders in front of him and no one pressures the ball at all. <laughs> yeah. And and he, he obviously just shoots into in, in, into the bottom corner. But it, 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 it's a strange one because obviously Valencia have been pretty much gutted. Their, their squad has been gutted. They, they, they missed out on on European qualification last year, that coupled with with the the impact of COVID and also just a general depression in the ownership of the club under un, under Peter Lim, so they they they've had to sell a lot of their their best players for for knockdown prices. Um, it, they did that last summer, but you look through yeah. you look through this squad, and there's still a lot of players in there that you would say are are are, are talented players. I mean. Jose Gaia at left back is, is is one of Spain's best left backs. You know, Gonzalo, Gonzalo Guedes is is inconsistent but very talented. Maxi Gomez was not so long ago one of the best out and out strikers in the league. Carlos Soler in central midfield again very talented. You mentioned uh, the American Musa, one of the one of the best teenagers in in the Liga. The South Korean Lee Kang Un who who came who who came on on off the bench, uh, another good young player. So. It feels like they should they should be doing better. I know the circumstances are really difficult for them, given everything that's going on around that club at the moment. But they have talent, but it it, it didn't show in this game at all. It didn't at all. Maybe Gary Neville's indelible stain has been left on that team for the time being, Graham. Who's to say? Um, but Real Madrid, they just they're, they're winning consistently now, and as you say, they had a lot of control in this game. They were pretty dominant. They looked really good with the build up. They had lots of lots of freedom. Um, I thought down the right channel, particularly, and as as I mentioned, just queuing up to take long shots on the edge of the box here. One one thing I was going to note about this team, Graham, is that. I, th- I wondered whether they don't have any truly great wide players and the ones, the young ones they've invested in haven't quite broken through and maybe call Eden Nazar one of those, but he's been injured, obviously. I was gonna, my, my thesis was going to be that a lot of their good play comes centrally from Benzema, from Kroos, and maybe a bit from Modric as well. Then I looked on whoscored.com at the heat map and the heat map for this game was all in the final third on the left and right channels. So <laughs> I've completely undone my own thesis there, basically. <laughs> Do you make anything of that or am I just talking nonsense? Um, I mean, Vinicius is 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 a winger. He's an out and out winger. I guess you've got a point with the with the other ones. I mean, Marco Senso is a wide player, but you wouldn't you wouldn't say he's he's a winger. Rodrigo, who I know is out injured at the moment, I think he's he's yeah. not a winger either. 
Hazard, you mentioned Hazard. I mean, his his best performances from Real Madrid have actually come centrally, um, mm-hmm. certainly recently. So he's not playing as a winger. I guess I guess the other true winger, maybe on the right side, um, who didn't play as a winger in this game, but Lucas Vasquez is actually having a, a pretty good season. And even when he plays at, at right back, he came on for for Carvajal, who we should mention. Um, that was a, a real blot on on Real Madrid's day. Was that yes? He came back from injury, missed six weeks. Uh, through of action through injury came back only lasted 25 minutes had to be replaced um so that's a that's a big blow because i think Real Madrid are a much better team with Danny Carvajal on the pitch Vasquez yeah. though has been filling in reasonably well at, at right back this season this was another good performance i think it, he he got the assist for the which goal the, the Tony Cross goal he got the assist for so that's yeah right. he, he he he's a bit of a winger i think he provides the width on the right side Vinicius provides a bit of a, of of the width on the left side but yeah i'm a little bit surprised the heat map showed all the action in in, in those areas yeah, the only two red spots were those left and right sort of the uh, Vinicius and Asensio <laughs> positions, which surprised me. But uh, maybe, I, I, maybe I didn't uh, uh, watch the game as well as I thought I did. One thing I wanted to bring up is the uh, I, I mentioned that the Gundogan, um, Kroos, and Kimmich uh, middle three. But how about this 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 three for Real Madrid: Modric, Kroos, and Casemiro. Really, really strong, isn't it? I mean, was, I'm not breaking any I'm not breaking any news there to say that. But how close is it to being like? Iniesta, Xavi, Busquets, good, Graham. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I referenced this in an article not so long ago and I got a lot of angry people on Twitter in my mentions. <laughs> um, I don't think it's ridiculous at all. I mean, these, th- this is a, a midfield trio that has been the engine room of a team that's won, what, four Champions League titles, two yeah. La Ligas, has been, you know, at the top of the game for 10 years now. Um, and they're all very, you know, they're all very well balanced. I mean, y- maybe not as... Um, as technically brilliant as the, I mean that's been really harsh because obviously Kroos and and, and Modric are, are fantastically technical, but you know you're talking about Xavi and Iniesta and that and that Barcelona trio. But yeah, I, I don't think that's a ridiculous comparison to make at all. I think one of the we all knew about Kroos and and, and Modric's brilliance um, long before now, but the player of the last two seasons that has has really stepped up his game is actually Casemiro and Zidane yeah. has been willing to unleash him a little bit more as an as an attacking force obviously for the first phase of his Real Madrid career he was known as a, as a holding midfielder that's where he excelled but he's he's much more willing to get forward now and he's really good at it so yeah I think right now they're they're even though they are into the the twilight of their their career there's been talk about trying to find replacements for some of them particularly Modric I, I still think they're probably the best midfield unit in in, in Europe certainly one of them anyway yeah, certainly so. And C- Casemiro seems to be like Zidane's little pet project, doesn't he? He's he's a uh, he's he's this player who uh, who's getting better and better under him. I would suggest. So I'm very impressed with him and his progress. I think he had a couple of good, decent shots in this game as well. And once again, Graham, we have to give some praise to Karim Benzema, who it's not easy for any player in any position, even if you're a goalkeeper, to stay in Real Madrid's team for like a decade and still be delivering the goods week in, well, almost week in, week out. And once again, he was pretty decent here, wasn't he? Yeah, he's got five goals in, in his uh, his last five games against Valencia. He always he always scores against them. I think he's scored more goals against them than any other team in La Liga. He was Real Madrid's top goal scorer last season. And one of the, the things about Benzema was that... It, he was criticised in the, if you want to call him the Cristiano Ronaldo years, for for not, um, not shouldering his 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 
not sharing the goal load basically with 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 Chris with Cristiano Ronaldo and really since Ronaldo's left basically the moment he left it's like it's like a a, a switch has been flicked with Benzema mm. and and he's the main man for them and and yeah everything result revolves around him I think one of the the most disappointing things about Hazard's injury record is that he was signed pretty much with the intention of of partnering him with Benzema. And, and when they have played together, it, it really has looked like there's something there, but Hazard just hasn't been able to string a number of games together without getting another injury. So, it, yeah, Benzema has had to uh, do things on his own, but for the time being, he is doing that very well. Indeed he is. Uh, I'm not sure I've got much more to say about this game, Graham, apart from Sergio Ramos uh, cuts to him in, in, the, uh, in the stands at Valdebabas uh, wearing what I could describe as a cricket jersey. Did you see that? I did not. Explain to me. <laughs> Elaborate. So he was, he looked, he, you know he's the most fashionable and handsome man in the world. He won an yep. award for it. It was an award that was nominated and conceived by Sergio Ramos, to be fair, but he did win it. Um, and he, he was wearing sort of um, very fashionable looking clothes. And, like, you know, like... A, a, a sweater that a cricket player would wear. He was wearing one of those, and I don't know how cold it was in uh, in Madrid this weekend, but uh, he 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 looked the part, and I thought he could have, you know, I don't know whether he was batsman or bowler, but he he certainly looked like he could have crossed sports for, for this weekend. Um, any anything else you want to say about this game? Maybe we um, any context for the for the Liga here? Uh, Atleti still a bit out in front of Real Madrid. Do you think there's a race on still? It looks like the top four still very tight, doesn't it? Yeah, one one thing I would say is there's a, a Madrid derby on March 7th and I would put that one mm. in your diaries because that looks like being a defining moment in three teams' seasons in Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid and, and Barcelona as well. Barcelona have won seven games in a row now, so not so long ago they looked completely out of it. I still think Atleti have pretty much got this sewn up because I think they've got a five-point lead and they've got two games in hand and they're not dropping yeah. many points. But... If Real Madrid were to win that Madrid derby on March 7th, could change things a little bit, could bring Barcelona back into it as well. So yeah, that's put that one in the, in the diary, as I said. Uh, in the diary, uh, I was um, in a professional environment not that long ago, Graham, and I said, oh, I'll put that in my diary. And everybody looked at me and said, are you like a 13-year-old schoolgirl? Apparently you say calendar here. Diary is a different thing. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. That's a, that's a Britishism, is it? In the diary. It's a Britishism, yeah. Oh. I learned it the hard way and I've, I've, uh, I've, I've passed it on to you there. Okay. Well, put it in the schedule then. Yeah. Put, put it in your phones. Put it, put it in your phones. No one's got diaries, schedules, anything like that. Just stick it in your phone. <laughs> Take out your quill and your pot of ink and scribe it on your uh, on your on your calendar. There you go. All right, we've got one more game to cover, uh, Graham. Before I let you go, uh, we're going to go to Serie A. Uh, Napoli took on Juventus and Napoli were the victors in this one. 1-0 one for a Gennaro Gattuso side here. Napoli are in fifth, two points behind Juve in fourth, catching up with them there. Um, before this game started, Graham, I was expecting Juventus to batter Napoli in this one with Napoli's back line in bits. You know, a lot of players missing here and there through injury and COVID. Uh, I was expecting a very dominant Juve performance and they were, you know, pretty strong on the break, but it was uh, it, it didn't go that way, did it? No, it didn't. And just as it seemed like Juventus were, were, were back on the right path, um, they suffered this defeat to, to bring them back down to earth and a lot of pressure on, on Pirlo again, particularly because his his team selection here was a bit weird. Um, right. He rested some players for the Coppa Italia game against Inter during the week. Juve had, had won the first leg and, and so 
Pirlo felt quite comfortable resting at two or three key figures, um, which suggested that they would be back for this league game against Napoli. And then one in particular, Weston McKenney, was not. And mm. um, so it, it, that seemed a little bit strange right from the start. And it was an illustration of, of what McKenney brings to this team. And in his absence, it, that illustration was provided because Juventus just lacked his energy through the centre of the pitch. And I think McKenney actually, what he does is he masks, masks a lot of the structural deficiencies in this Juventus team, particularly in that midfield, which has been a bit of a problem area for them. I mean, I would even go back to when Paul Pogba left Juventus. I mean, I know they were they, they were successful after then. I think they might even have reached a Champions League final after Pogba left the club, but there were still questions over that midfield after he left. So it's, it, these problems are nothing new, but what McKenney does is just through his sheer pitch coverage and ability to play a number of different positions, um, he masks those deficiencies. And when he wasn't there, they were exposed. And I thought this, even though Juventus had a lot of chances, they would contest on another day, they take one of the, one or two of those chances and they get out of here with three points. But I, I still felt like it was a, a pretty poor performance. Yeah, it was. And I, I think I agree with that. The midfield was the uh, key area of pr- uh, the problematic area there. And I, did, I didn't quite understand why Bernadeschi got the start over McKenney. McKenney yeah. um, coming on for him just after the hour mark. It, as you say, the energy that McKenney brings, I think, really lacked for that first hour. And also um, Kuliszewski, uh, not not getting a start in this one either. He came on about uh, 72nd minute for Ben Tancur. I don't know why that would have happened. I maybe would have even had him over Rabio as well in that in that um, midfield, p- the double pivot there. Uh, so I'm not. I, I agree with you there. I don't think Pirlo went for his strongest midfield options. And you'd think someone like Andrea Pirlo would be able to specialise in the midfield. There you go. And I, I see. I saw a few people criticising um, Chiesa out there on the left. I actually thought. He was pretty good and he had quite a lot of chances there. But um, there's this perception that he's sort of misused when he's put out put out left there. Uh, and But as much as the, the midfield was problematic for Juventus, Graham, I thought the the, the, fight, the finishing the final third and Morata and Ronaldo were, the, were perhaps the biggest issue here. Juventus had 24 shots, Graham, 14 of them in the penalty area and nine from set pieces. If you do not convert 24 shots, 14 of which are in the penalty area, you deserve to lose. That's my opinion. Yeah, but what you have to factor in is the unwritten rule that when an opposition, when there's a late change of an opposition goalkeeper, as was the case with Napoli with David Espina injured in the warm-up, yes. you just know that whoever plays in the place of that that replaced goalkeeper is going to have the game of their life. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> it doesn't matter who it is. It could be anyone. They're going to have the game of your life. And that's what happened with, with, with Merritt in this game. Alex Merritt had the absolute game of his life. You are quite correct there. It was almost like a Hollywood movie. I imagine like, is that, I'm sure that was a script of like a Mighty Ducks film at some point that happened and the, goal, <laughs> the goaltender had the game of his life there. But you're quite right. I think one thing I noted here and, uh, you know, Napoli were very impressive here. I thought, um, and they didn't have their first choice centre-backs here. And as I mentioned, they had quite a few absences. So I wasn't expecting them to do as well as they did uh, at the uh, Diego Mondo Maradona Stadium, as it's now known, of course. Um, but, one thing I noted here, which I'd be worried about for Juve, they've got Porto coming up in the Champions League, Graham. Mm-hmm. And if Porto, you know, poop house a goal early and they park the bus, basically what Napoli did, they're in trouble, I think. Yeah, and there's 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 precedent for it as well because that's pretty much what happened in the Champions League in the first leg uh, against Lyon last season where Juventus went out uh, they they won the second leg two one at home, but the first leg they they lost one 0 after Leon scored I think after about thirty minutes, 
and just couldn't break Leon down. And and so yeah, that that would be a worry. It feels like a lot of the problems that Juventus had last season. I know they've you know different manager, new signings, but feels like a lot of the problems are still there. And uh, yeah, that that would be a worry ahead of uh, that Champions League game against Porto. If I were a Juventus fan. Yep which uh, you are not, neither am I. So uh, we have no horse in this race. But uh, what I will say, it is wonderful. And I have no horse in the Serie A race, but I think it's wonderful to not have Juventus dominating at this stage of proceedings. They're in fourth and the title looks a long way off for them. It's not impossible, but it's a long way off. But it's nice to have the uh, the, the, the big dog sitting back. It'll be like Bayern being in fourth at the moment, wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, we, if only Bayern were in fourth. <laughs> the Bundesliga, <laughs> the gods will not have that. Um, but yeah, big weekend in Serie A with Milan losing to Spezia and mm. Inter beating Lazio. Romelu Lukaku, by the way, brilliant in that game. And so now Inter are top of the league. But what I would say is a couple of years ago, I thought Napoli were going to win Serie A under Sarri. And that did not happen. So I am not ruling out Juventus just yet because I have been burned there before. This is true. Well, the ghost of Sari kind of haunted this game in some ways, I suppose. Um, but yeah, Juventus eight points off of Inter at the top. So it's not impossible. We've got a long way to go. And Juventus do have a game in hand, to be fair, on 21 games. So we shall see how this one shakes out. Graham, I think we just nailed the weekend review. Is there anything else you want to say? No, I think we got everything in there. In a tight, uh, how long was that? Hour? <laughs> tight hour. A tight hour, yeah. Yeah, what the key comedians would call a tight hour. I think uh, I think we did very well there. If I don't say so myself, Graham, thank you so much for joining me on this intrepid journey. I look forward to talking to you again very soon indeed, good sir. Thanks, Ryan. 